Triple Play Fantasy's basketball show with Doc, Coach, and Brass Dadamas starts now. Timeouts for Toronto. They go the length of the court. Ruffin tips it away. And. No! Not possible! Not possible! You may think it's not possible, but it is very possible that this guest is on our show today. We welcome in a man that was the definition of a dual threat of not just bringing his pretty face on television for all of us to see, but his voice with his signature calls that will be told to my future unborn children. This D.C. legend spent 22 years calling Washington Wizard basketball games and put as much emotion into his broadcasting that when he said backbreaker, I thought I actually broke my back from disappointment in every game. The man of many a daggers joins us today, and that is Steve Buckhans. How's it going, man? Hey, David. Thanks for having me. It's going great. Eric, James, great to be with you. And... um uh, everything's good. You know, I'm healthy, uh, family's healthy, and um, getting through this whole uh, crazy 2020 and looking forward to 2021. So, Steve, we uh, well, first of all, I'm glad you and yours are all very healthy, but um, we talked a little bit before the show, and I'm going to be honest, as I said, we've interviewed a lot of people on the show, um, but you by far, I think, have had the most impact for our lives specifically, growing up in the DMV area, loving DC sports in general, but specifically the Wizards were all three of our first passions. And I don't think we could have imagined anybody calling games like you did. And I'm very curious, what made you get into broadcasting uh, in the first place? Because it's not something that anybody can can pick up and do. You have to have the voice. You have to be able to speak well enough and not stumble upon your words. What made you kind of want to get into it and what made you realize you had the talent for it? Well, David, you have to go back uh long before you were a blink in your father's eye Uh, (laughs) way way back to when i was even before you guys age um i I had a fascination with uh watching the news on tv uh, locally so for me every night i would watch the news back then the dominant station in washington was channel nine um with anchors that were again you you would never know and but all the stations were good four seven and nine and five was was different where I ended up working some years later but um, and I had this fascination for that and, and watching the anchors and all of them weather and especially sports so back in the day the sports guy the guy who literally started virtually everything you see on ESPN and everything else was a guy named Warner Wolf and he literally everything you see today in some way, shape, or form are guys that are doing Warner Wolf. He really started it all, especially here in Washington. And he was here for a long time at Channel 9. Then he went to New York, and then he came back to Channel 9 uh, after Glenn Brenner had died. But at any rate, I, I was fascinated watching Warner Wolf and the other sports anchors in Washington. And we had some really good ones. And you know, I knew that, and I also love sports. My dad played sports, and we used to play together. And um, uh, he taught me how to kick. I, I punted and kicked in high school, um, and, and you know, played guard, and so all through that. So I had a mixture of sports. We had Redskin season tickets since my dad had them since 1938. I'll tell you a quick story about that. He used to love to tell the story. Back then, they played at Griffith Stadium. Okay, that's where Howard University Hospital is now. But back then, they played all the games at Griffith Stadium. Uh, That's where they played the baseball games, too, the the Senators. So um, he used to tell the story that as a kid, he managed to get a season ticket to the Redskins. Now, back then, they only played six home games. So he used to tell me that a season ticket, one ticket, cost him $6.60. They were $1.10 a ticket. And he got a season ticket for $6.60. And I just couldn't believe my ears when I heard that. But at any rate, um, so I had the love of sports and the love of watching TV. Growing up, I used to like to read, you know, even in class, I used to like to read out loud. And so my passion really was the mixture of those two. And 
And when I applied to the three schools to go to college, um, I applied to AU here, uh, James Madison and the University of Miami. Actually went to Miami for a semester then transferred to what was then Madison College and got right into broadcasting. But even before that in high school, I did the announcements on the, on the school intercom system in the morning, uh, Washington Lee High School in Arlington. And, um, and, I, and I announced some of the basketball games over the PA system. So I knew I had that passion, even tried to start a radio station with another guy. So once I got to college and got into broadcasting, that's where my career began. And that's what led me to where I am today. There's a wonderful story on your uh, podcast on the road with Buck and Phil about those Redskins season tickets. But I'll, I'll let the listeners listen in on your podcast for that. No spoilers, but pretty hilarious story when it comes to that. Yeah, uh, agreed. I want to make sure they listen to his and we don't give all that away. Um, That's fine, but I appreciate that. We, you know, Phil and I decided to do this, Phil Chenier and I, uh, obviously after we both left the Wizards. And, um, you know, it. we just thought it would be a nice way to get us back together again, to be able to, we knew that we were, there were fans out there that wanted to hear from us. So it enabled us to give an opinion about not only the Wizards, but everything else that's happening in Washington, because, I did a lot more than cover the Wizards for the last 36 years here. Um, and um, and also, we knew we could have some very impactful guests, which we did for the 26 or 7 weeks we did that. And we're going to start up again. I think it looks like uh, the end of January we're going to start up again. So um, we took a little break, but that was a lot of fun to be able to do that. Steve, did you notice a big difference between calling Wizards games and, with Phil and then having a podcast with him? Well, first, I think you'd have to to go from Phil to calling games with Carol Lawson, who I did for the last mm-hmm. two years. Uh, Phil left, you know, two years before I did, and I did the, the last two, two of my years with Kara. Uh, obviously, a totally different broadcaster. Um, she brought a different perspective, um, and she obviously very bright and uh, eloquent and, and really well, uh, good at what she did. I think the, uh, the biggest uh, – um, downside to losing Phil was the obvious ones. He played in the NBA and he played for the Bullets. So he had that history in his head. Um, I mean, firsthand, obviously. And that's big. And uh, that can't really be replaced by anybody that hasn't ever played for the team. So uh, that and the fact that, you know, we did that together for 20 years. So we had a chemistry. We knew each other as well as you can know a person. You know, the type of situation, the type of relationship where you could finish somebody else's sentence. You knew what they were thinking just by looking at them. A lot of times we'd look at each other in a broadcast and not even say anything and know, A, what we were thinking and also know we probably shouldn't open our mouths. But, uh, uh, yeah, so that was and then to do a podcast, logistically, it's different because, as you guys know, and as we all know, through the pandemic, you're not sitting next to somebody. You're in a different room in a different county, uh, in a different state. And um, it's it's never the same as being like when you do a podcast, it's never the same as being like in an actual broadcast studio um, or being uh, with people where you're actually looking at them uh, eye to eye personally in the same room. So it was different in that regard. But otherwise, it was kind of similar to answer your question to be doing stuff with Phil on a podcast, because again, we're just so familiar with each other. We knew what we wanted to say and we knew what we were thinking. So it was nice to be reunited in that fashion. So Steve, I want to go back to uh, the, the Foxy young Steve. Uh, and you're talking about kind of how you started getting into broadcasting and you started your television announcing career as a sports director at WTTG and you also called NFL games for Fox that I, I was reading. And one of your earlier jobs in sports was with WSB TV in Atlanta, where you covered the Braves and the Hawks, and you eventually became the nighttime sports anchor. Do you feel that, my first question is, do you feel that all this kind of really helped hone your skills to eventually join the Wizards? And then when did the opportunity present itself for you to call games for the Wizards? Uh, good questions, David. And, and you have to go back even farther than that um, to when I started in college um, at Madison College, which became James Madison. Um, I was the sports director on the campus radio station and the station was tiny, 10 watts of power. You could yell farther than the signal. 
So that's how small that was on campus. But uh, I did a baseball game and I did something else and they made me the sports director at the campus radio station. Then the job op- there was a job opening for doing the color commentary on the JMU or at still Madison College basketball broadcast. So I took a tape recorder, a reel-to-reel tape recorder, which you don't see anymore. I still have it. And I got a press pass to a Bullets game. And I drove up from Harrisonburg and I sat at the press table at a Bullets game. And I set my reel-to-reel recorder under the press table and had my mic in front of me. And I did the play-by-play of that Bullets game, brought it back to Harrisonburg to the sports information director at Madison. And I got the job doing the color commentary for the Madison basketball broadcast. That was in 1974. And I did that for four years, which was great. I got to travel with the team. I got to learn from the guys who were doing the play-by-play. One of my mentors, a fellow named Tom Delaney, who was a great, still is a great broadcaster. And I learned from him because they didn't entrust the play-by-play to a college student. They hired a professional for that. But they let me do the color. So I traveled with the team. I think I got paid $20 a game and uh, traveled all over the country with Madison's basketball team. And that's where I learned that early on, learned the skill of communicating and broadcasting in front of a microphone and doing a live game. I did women's games as well, which was, excuse me, great. And then from Madison, uh, worked at the local TV station in Harrisonburg. So my first TV job was actually in 1977, at a uh, TV station uh, called WHSV TV, which is in Harrisonburg, ABC affiliate at the time. And that's where I learned to do TV. And I did, I uh, was a news and a sports reporter during the day. And I anchored the sports at 11 and the weather. They let me anchor the weather because I had my pilot's license and, and, you know, I was perceived to know something about the weather. Because of that. <laughs> and Harrisonburg, which at the time was, I think the 197th market, in the country out of about 212, you could do that and get away with it. So I did that. And that was my first TV job. And then from there, I climbed that ladder. So I went from Harrisonburg to Chattanooga, Tennessee, which was the 71st TV market. And I did, uh, they, I was the weekday sports guy there at six and 11. And that was awesome. And then from Chattanooga, I went to Nashville to the CBS affiliate and I did weekend sports there. I did that for 10 months And then my biggest break at that time was going from Nashville to Atlanta to WSB TV, which is was the biggest TV station in all of the South. Great, great talent came out of there, including a very good friend of mine, Ernie Johnson, Jr., who does TNT basketball. We worked there together at the same time. I did weekend sports at that station as well. Uh, The weekday sports guy was a guy named John Buren, who went to Baltimore and was there for many years. And then I got the next biggest break, which was to come from uh, Atlanta to Washington, where I went to work at TTG in 1984, and I was there till 97. All along the way, I had been doing uh, freelance play-by-play, whether it was high school football or college basketball or whatever. And so that, and then when I got to Channel 5 in Washington, I started doing Big East games, a lot of Georgetown games, a lot of interaction with John Thompson, Jr., And that was really huge for me. And then the next biggest thing happened in 1994 when Fox, which at that time we were a Fox station, uh, Channel 5, when they got the NFL. And I'll tell you a story about that in a minute, too. But but when I first got to Channel 5, it wasn't a Fox station. It was called Metro Media. It was owned by a man named John Kluge, who lived in Charlottesville, who was one of the richest men in America. He owned seven TV stations, including... Channel 5 in Washington, also owned the Metro Media Station in New York, in Chicago, in Los Angeles, in San Francisco, huge markets under this umbrella called Metro Media, which was a big paging company and this broadcast company out of Secaucus, New Jersey. In 1987 or so, he sold those seven TV stations to Rupert Murdoch, who's the president of, of Fox. He sold them to Rupert Murdoch for, I think it was $2.3 billion. And those seven TV stations became the Fox television network. Mm. So that, that was Fox at the time. There were seven stations. That was it. Very few, no affiliates because their only programming at the time was in living color and the Simpsons. And that was about it. 
So they didn't, they couldn't get affiliates around the country. Well, that changed overnight in 1994 when Fox outbid CBS for the rights to televise the National Football League, specifically the NFC. So overnight, Channel 5 became the Redskins station. Overnight. We went from televising their scrimmages and their some of their preseason games, obviously, to actually being the network that broadcast the Redskins games. Forever they were on Channel 9. Forever and ever and ever. Well, Fox outbid CBS, and now that changed those seven TV stations that were what we call O&Os, owned and operated stations. Now we had affiliates all over the country because if you lived in Green Bay and you wanted to see the Packers, you had to have a Fox affiliate there to show the games. Same thing everywhere else in this country that wasn't one of those seven markets. And so now they started getting, I mean, football changed the Fox network. It went from seven TV stations to hundreds all over the country. And in 1994, uh, they they called me. I was just anchoring at Channel 5, and they called me to come out and do an audition for Fox, for the NFL on Fox, which I did. I went out to Los Angeles. They told me which game we were going to do. It was a game that had already been played, but they presented us with all the, the research and the statistics. And, we, you know, I learned and I practiced and I researched. And I got out there, and my audition game – was with Jerry Glanville, and he was a hoot to work with. He didn't even know what game we were doing. We got in the cab to go to the Fox Television Center, and he said, what game are we doing? And I went, oh, my God. (laughs) (laughs) You know what game? I said, here, look at the – I gave him my charts. But it was fine because he was – you know, he did all that corn pone stuff. You know, well, he could throw a football through a car wash and not get it wet, you know, and they (laughs) love all that shtick, you know. So he was great, and and, – so I go out there, and, and these are the guys that are out there that, I'm, that are auditioning for this new NFL on Fox. Me, Joe Buck, Tom Brenneman, Kenny Albert, oh Kevin God. Harlan, and um, I think uh, Craig Bowlerjack, who does Utah Jazz. So those are the guys that are auditioning. And obviously everybody got gigs. And I got a game that first year, uh, the Redskins at Tampa Bay. Uh, now, the low end of the totem pole for a game, but, you know, for me, it was Nirvana. And I did the game with a guy named Merrill Hodge. Mm-hmm. Oh. On the first yeah. play of the game, Brian Mitchell got knocked unconscious on the kickoff return. Now, I'm sitting next to a guy, Merrill Hodge, who was in the booth because he had six concussions. Mm-hmm. So we were able to speak to that, and that was really cool. And then, uh, then the next year, I got another game which I did with a guy named Bill Moss. And in the third year, I got a game at the Kingdom in Seattle before they imploded it. And I did that game with uh, Trevor Maddich. So I ended up doing three NFL on Fox games, 94, 95, and 96. And then in 97, uh, Mel Proctor, who was the play-by-play guy for the, for the Bullets, uh, left to go do San Diego Padres baseball. And so for the last 20 games of the 96-97 season, they had me and Dave Johnson fill in for Mel Proctor in those for those games. And I was at in the at the end of a contract at Channel Five. And Susan O'Malley was the president of the Bullets at the time, and we had a really good relationship. And I said to her, Listen, next year I, I, I want to do the play by play. And she said, Well, what about Channel Five? You know, when I can't have you come to me in November during ratings period and say, I can't do the games because they want me at the station or the same thing in May, which is another big ratings period. And um, I said to her, I'm prepared to leave the station if I have to, because I want to do the play-by-play. And that's exactly what happened. I uh, Channel 5 didn't want me to be part-time, despite the fact that their, their sports director would have been the play-by-play guy for the new Wizards with the new uniforms at the new MCI Center. And, oh, by the way, in two years, with the greatest player of all time, to play for the team. See, they were so short-sighted. They they didn't think of all those things. They just knew they wanted their anchor to be in that seat during November and May sweeps. So I said, okay, well, I appreciate it. And after 14 years at Channel 5, I left to do the Bullets and the Wizards. And and that was the beginning of that. And that started in 97. Steve, I'm, I'm blown away, honestly, because I knew it was a journey to get to where you got to. Yeah. Um, but what you went through to get to the top the that last part 
about basically being like, look, this is what I want to do. I'm prepared to leave this awesome gig I've been at for the last, you know, 14 years. It's, it's honestly just, I'm shocked and, and just wowed by, uh, everything that you went through to get to where you went. And it's, it's, it's a not long a journey, long journey, Dave. And you know what? Uh, the business has changed that you, you don't have to do that anymore. You can, first of all, you got guys coming out of college that spent the last four years watching ESPN. So they know mm-hmm. how to read a teleprompter. They may not know anything about journalism, but they can come out and look at a teleprompter and read it and get on TV. And, and the standards, I hate to say it, the standards in our business and I think people, my colleagues that have been in the business for a long time will agree with me. Standards have come way down. Mm-hmm. Everything. Money more than anything. Uh, so, for instance, at Channel 4, to be a reporter at Channel 4 years ago, and I'm talking about 20, 30 years ago, you had to have five, six years of experience at a small market station before they'd even look at you. Now you can come right out of college and get a job there, or you can have maybe one job in, you know, Charlottesville or Lynchburg and come to Washington. That never used to happen. So that when you talk about that journey for me, Harrisonburg, Chattanooga, Nashville, Atlanta, Washington, that's, those are the steps you had to make back then. Now the business has changed. You don't, you, you can come right out of college and go to a big market. Uh, So back then it was, but everything was different back then, David. You know, we didn't have Internet. We didn't have CNN. We didn't have Fox. We didn't have ESPN. None of that stuff existed. If you tried to get a job in broadcasting back then, when I'm talking about when I was my first year in uh, TV in 1977, the way you got a job was looking in the back of a magazine called Broadcasting Magazine, which was the staple of our industry, printed right here on DeSales Street down by Connecticut Avenue. You looked in the back of that uh, magazine and it said in the classifieds and it said, we're looking for news anchor or we're looking for weather or whatever. That's how I went from from Harrisonburg to Chattanooga. They had an ad there that said looking Sunbelt station, looking for news, weather and sports anchors. Well, me and my buddy, a fellow named Steve Lealu in, in Harrisonburg, we went to college together. We did news together at that TV station in Harrisonburg. We answered that ad together. It said Sunbelt Station. You know, we're thinking somewhere in Florida, whatever. That was Chattanooga, Tennessee, but whatever. So we sent a team resume down there and we said, hey, if you're looking for news, weather, and sports, you hire us. You'll have hit two birds with, you know, one stone because we he does news, I do sports, and we already have chemistry. And we sent our tape down there and the whole bit, and they hired both of us. So that's how you got a job. There was no internet. There was no, you either got a job through a classified in the back of broadcasting magazine, or maybe somebody was passing through town and they saw you and they said, Hey, this guy's pretty good. I want to, I want to call him. Otherwise you sent out three quarter inch tapes this thick. You probably didn't get them back. And hell, I was happy just to get a rejection letter. (laughs) Seriously. Uh, And when I got that job in Chattanooga and then to Nashville and Atlanta, you know, it was incredible. But yeah, it's the, the business has totally changed. And back then, when you applied for a job at a TV station, think about this. There were no roundtable shows like PTI or, you know, Around the Horn or any of that stuff. None of that stuff existed. When you applied for a job in TV back then, you applied at a, in a market that had generally three TV stations, ABC, NBC, CBS. And at each one of those stations, there were two sportscasters, the weekday guy and the weekend guy. That's it. There weren't reporters. There weren't any of that. So you had six chances in every market. Now, generally, the weekday guy wasn't going anywhere because he was, you know, uh, entrenched in that role. So you were applying for the weekend job. So now you cut that down to three spots in each market. And that was it. Nowadays, when you when you apply for a job in radio or TV, there's hundreds and hundreds. And it's not just radio and TV. Podcast, digital, it's magazines, it's all kinds of stuff. So the bad news is that the business is more competitive now than it's ever been for young people. The good news is there are hundreds and hundreds more jobs than back in the day when we were applying for one of six spots in each market. And that was it. And uh, 
so that that's one of the ways the business has changed. It's pretty fascinating when you think about it. Yeah, it really is. And honestly, you're 100% right. It's that's why the people that have been doing it so long and now are the best of the best are still doing it. And you know, you should be still doing it if we're if we're being honest. I just you, they did you wrong. And um, you hear the, when people come in to replace you guys, and, and it's the, the drop off is gigantic. And so that's why I respect so many people like yourself. And I do want to kind of switch it to kind of be a little bit more of a positive in the sense of with your time with the Wizards, you were an icon and. You would have people on the streets, and I'm not kidding, that would literally be like, oh, my God, that's a dagger. Or, oh, my God, man, it's a backbreaker. Or it, it, you just – like it's a, it was a cultural thing, honestly. And uh, I'm curious because I think a lot of Wizards fans are curious. How did you come up with all your catchphrases? Dagger, blocked by blah, 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 or backbreaker. Even the smaller things when you'd say, how good is he, Phil? That's got to be five seconds. Yeah, like those are all, we loved every single, how did you come up with all that stuff? Or was it just like, before the show, you were like, I'm going to try to introduce something, see if it sticks, or was it just top of the head, it came to you? I know it sounds crazy, but really it was just right off the top of my head. I mean, I'll tell you what, one of the things I used to like to say was, how do you like that? Mm-hmm. Yep. <laughs> I, got, I got that, now that I think about it, I got it from my mother, who used to say it all the time. She really did, and... <clears throat> And that's how I got that. I, I, it just, I don't know, maybe I was just repeating what, what she was saying and I could hear it in my ear. Dagger was different. Again, it wasn't premeditated. It wasn't something that I was thinking ahead of time. You know, there are certain situations where you know you're going to need something ahead of time. Think about this. Think about Jim Nance calling the Masters. Or, say, calling uh, the, the, the National Basketball Championship game. All right, so now you know you got two teams. you got to come up with something for one of those two teams that metaphorically or however, you know, makes a statement, even if it's very simple. So you have a chance to think about that a little bit, and you, I'm sure you do. Uh, I'm sure he does. I'm sure any announcer does. But for the games that we did, did 82 games a year plus preseason and playoffs, that's a lot of stuff. Uh, so I wasn't, I wasn't trying to think of anything. I just knew that <clears throat> in the case of Dagger, um, when, a, when, a, when a shot was made, and at first I was calling it for both teams, and then I stopped and I called it just for the Wizards when they would do something good and win a game at the end. And it just came off the top of my head. It was like, this is, this is the emphatic – stake in the heart, game winning, dramatic shot. It was a it was a dagger. And it just it just hit and it made sense to me. Backbreaker was the same type of thing. I'd usually usually use it against the Wizards <clears throat> because you know they play defense for 23 seconds and then a guy would hit a shot and it was like, man, that's a backbreaker. That that that'll break your back. <clears throat> and so you try to condense condense it into just one word and make it impactful. And that's what I did with those things. And then other little things you just come up with. They may be things that you heard back in your youth. When I was growing up, I used to listen to a guy named Joe Tate on the radio. He was a Cleveland Cavaliers play-by-play guy for years. But I could pick up their broadcasts on their station, 1100 AM on, in Cleveland. It was broadcast to 36 states around our country. And so I could hear him, and I thought he was great. I loved him. He would, and he was and still is legendary and iconic in Cleveland. And I, I listened to the stuff he said. Skip Carey, when I worked in Atlanta, um, who was Harry Carey's son and Chip Carey's father, and Skip passed away. He was great, and he was he was uh, understated, but he was so good at play by play. And I and I got a lot from him when I worked, and I could listen to him in Chattanooga when I was in Chattanooga, and then when I got to Atlanta. So these things all came literally off the top of my head. And what's interesting was that not too long after I started doing Dagger. And then, of course, the sports junkies picked up on it and they they made it into a you know part of the vernacular. And I I've always thanked them and, and given credit to them for a lot of that. Um, I was using it and I got a call from my general manager at the TV station <clears throat> at, uh, at the time was Home Team Sports, which obviously became CSN and now NBC Sports Washington. And he said to me, really nice guy, and he said to me, you know, I'm wondering about this dagger thing. He says it's kind of. Um, you know, has a, you know, a negative connotation, 
especially when you're using it against the Wizards when another team scores. And he says, I'm thinking maybe maybe you shouldn't use that anymore. His name was Sam Schroeder, a terrific guy. And I said, well, you know what, Sam? I said, I, I agree with you to a certain extent. I said, but this thing's starting to get some play now. I'm, the, it's being used on uh, by guys on radio, and, and it's becoming associated with me. And it's almost to the point where it's becoming a brand for me. I said, I, I, I think it could be very advantageous for us. I'd hate to stop using it, although I understand what you're saying about using it against the Wizards. And to his credit, he, he realized that that was true. And he said, you know, I think you're right. Okay, so just don't use it against the Wizards. And I was able to keep using it. But uh, uh, there was a moment there where, you know, my, my general manager was going to ask me to stop doing it. And, but I, I thought enough about it to, to, to understand that I think that it might be something really positive. And, of course, it turned out to be. But, yeah, those things just kind of came off the top of my head. I, they weren't premeditated. They just were there. And, um, and you know, they became, uh, you know, associated with me anyway. Yeah, and, and I want to hand it over to the other guys, but I would be mad at myself if I did not mention that you were also the first person to teach me the word incensed. Because I had never heard that word, so you're also a teacher as well as a broadcaster. Incensed is a great word. I think my favorite word, my favorite two words for watching guys go crazy on the sidelines and just be so mad that it was they were incensed. <clears throat> Can you guess what the other two words were? Uh, Fill in the blank. Look at Doug Collins. He is not incensed, but two other words. Look at Doug Collins. Beside himself? No, that's a good one, though. We're, we're disappointing Steve right now. He was having a good time, and now we're back. <laughs> yeah, it's okay. Uh, oh, my? No, my, probably my favorite word for somebody that is just so mad they can just, you can see the steam, would be apoplectic. Oh. He is apoplectic. Okay. Uh, and then for someone who's like so mad, they're just <clears throat> yelling at anybody they can or, or yelling at the officials. Uh, he's excoriating the officials. That's I remember word. that. And I then the other that. one is that he's exercised. He's he's uh, he's just, uh, you know, the word exorcism. He's exercised. He's so mad that he could just spin his head. Uh, so those are probably my favorite words. Apoplectic, though, is a great, great <laughs> word. You don't hear that used a lot, but that's that really says it all. That's wonderful. One of my favorite memories and something that I, I really remember you as um, is your just love for local players. And you would say, here comes Roger Mason checking in, five-year player out of University of Virginia, formerly of uh, Our Lady of Good Counsel High School, um, I used to, I took pride as, uh, you know, being from the local area and I really dove into that. I wanted to know every single player from the area. So can you speak a little bit about that, um, your local ties and your affinity to, to, to mention where that they're from this area and they check in? Yeah, James, I think that, you know, two things, a me being a native, I was born in Washington at Columbia hospital, grew up in Arlington. <clears throat> went to, you know, Washington Lee High School. Um, so so being local, you know, there's there's a natural affinity for the area. OK. And then <clears throat> there's an affinity for any players that are local. So I think that as a local broadcast now, it's different when you're doing a national broadcast. But as a local broadcast, uh, so clearly you want to. um uh, make attention towards the guys uh, or the gals that came out locally and had some local ties. Uh, and then, you know, you develop relationships with these people. I got to meet Roger Mason's parents, you know, and, and nice people. And so you really understand these, these folks. And he is such a great guy. And we got to be friends. And, and really with all of the guys, and not just the Wizards, but when I was at Channel 5 and I covered the Redskins and the Capitals and getting to know guys like Rod Langway. And then I have so many friends on the, on the Washington football team, as we're calling them now, that are still very close friends of mine. Jeff Bostick is a very close friend of mine. Dexter Manley, uh, all these guys that you developed relationships with that you carry on, Mark Rippon and Curtis Jordan and, you know, Gary Clark, who went to the same college I did. And, 
just on and on. Monty Coleman and Daryl Green and Art Monk and yeah, I could go on and on. Mark Mosley. It's just you, you. I covered these guys for so long that you develop relationships with them. And luckily, I feel like the relationships continue long after they stop playing the game and long after you stop covering them. That, to me, is the best part of this business, is still having those relationships with those guys that, um, to this day, you know, make it make it fun, you know, make it all worthwhile. So that when, you know, when 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 the skins have a reunion, they call me to come be with them, you know. And we had one not too long ago, last year before the pandemic, obviously. Over, uh, well, it was right before. Um, was it the final game? At, no, because they've been they've been gone from RFK forever. It was. Uh, I had something to do with uh, naming some of the players in the ring and the Hall of Fame or up in the stadium, and they had a huge reunion over at the Washington Harbor, uh, over there in Oxon Hill, and uh, all the old guys were there. I mean, even Bobby Bethard was there, and you know the, the all of these guys, and you know, as soon as they came into town, you know, uh, Donnie Warren and Joe Jacoby close friends and Bosco. And they said, Hey man, come on over for this reunion. We're all getting together. And I went over there and uh, man, it was like old times, you know, I mean, is, you know, so you develop these relationships and I love to make mention of local guys, James, as you said, because uh, when you're doing a local broadcast, people want to know that they want to know where they went to high school. And, you know, I mean, they, they want to hear their high school mentioned, you know, it's, it would be silly not to do that. I even do that now during, uh, you know, national broadcasts, like I'm doing a lot of Georgetown games for Fox. And um, uh, I remember not a couple of weeks ago, did a game. Uh, I think it was their season opener against UMBC and got to talk about all of the things that were Georgetown, John Thompson Jr. And being able to cover him in 1984 when they won the championship with Patrick Ewing and covering Allen Iverson and all of these greats that walked into McDonough Gymnasium, which is what they called it back then. So if you know these things and you have a history of these things, especially if you're doing a local broadcast, I used to love to talk about local guys. I thought it was important. Steve, one of the things I loved about your commentating and your play style is you, and even in this interview, you've given credit to everyone. The only reason I know the name Eric Waters, head athletic trainer, is because you would always give him credit. So that's true. You know, you you covered the Wizards for over two decades, and obviously as fans of the team, we're disappointed that they didn't even make it to the Eastern Conference Finals. But was there a certain team or year that you felt like had a lot of upside that you thought maybe this was the year that they finally pushed the brink? Well, yeah, I'm sure it was probably the year. uh, Well, you know, when they had the big three, that was was huge. Mm -hmm. And and then even then, uh, Ernie Grunfeld went out and he got – um, Mike Miller and uh, Randy Foy, Randy Foy from Minnesota. So on paper, man, that's a strong team. But unfortunately, the chemistry wasn't there, and it didn't manifest itself into a, you know the, the team that Ernie thought it would. But it looked like it would be good. But at any rate, clearly the year that Gilbert hit the shot against Chicago mm-hmm. uh, in Chicago, which was just my favorite moment of of Bullets Wizards basketball. Uh, that was just so stunning because you're in Chicago at that arena, which is very hostile. Those fans know basketball. And as I said, after he hit the shot, I said, Gilbert Arenas has just sucked the life out of this building. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's exactly what he did. And that's another thing that just came to me off the top of my head because that's what he did. Those fans were stunned. And it went from a decibel level that you couldn't imagine to zero and Agent Zero hit that shot, and um, and that was my favorite moment. And those teams, they went to the playoffs four years in a row. I think, um, you know, I was disappointed because we could never get past Miami. Oh. Um, and, you know, it was kind of understandable. Even the year they lost to the Pacers, you know, I thought they had mm-hmm. a good shot at it. It was disappointing, what, two, three years ago now when they, when they were one game away from going to the Eastern Conference Finals, losing yeah. to Boston. Yeah, they beat in Boston. They're going to the finals against Cleveland. Mm-hmm. And I'm thinking, wow, that's a good team. What was disappointing was, and at that time, after they got eliminated from that series, I thought, wow, this is a legitimate playoff team. These guys know what the playoffs are like. They're good. 
Wall is good. Beal is good. They're all good. And the next year they came back and they kind of crapped the bed. They, they didn't play like a playoff team. They lost to teams they were supposed to beat like Charlotte and Atlanta and these teams they were supposed to beat. And they never, never capitalized on the season before that. That was really disappointing to me. But that's sort of how this franchise has been in the last 20 years. They've been up and down. They've been competitive and not competitive. Mainly, I think the biggest problem is, and it's a little bit of a cliche, but I just mentioned it, they, they tend to play to the level of their competition. Mm-hmm. You know, they go out west, and I saw I was at the game, obviously called the game where Gilbert Arenas had 60 points, and Kobe had 45 that night, but Gilbert had 60, and it was phenomenal. And, and so they would rise to those levels and beat teams like that. And then they'd come back here and lose at Charlotte or, you know, lose to a bad Sixer team or whatever it happened to be. Um, they just never really could get consistent on playing at a very high level. And hopefully they're, they're getting past that, but we'll see what this year brings. So, so Steve, I actually just thought of this question on the fly because you mentioned that they play up to their competition. Why could they never win at San Antonio? They haven't won since 1999. <laughs> it's the longest losing streak of a team playing in a certain arena. I like circle it every year on my calendar. I'm like, maybe this is the year they win. And they never do. Yeah, I circle it too, but it was for the barbecue on the <laughs> down there by the, you know, the walk. Um, you know, a lot of teams didn't win in San Antonio during that stretch because they just had such a great team whether it was David Robinson or Tim Duncan or Ginobili or whoever it happened to be, Parker, every time they needed to fill in a position, Popovich was able to fill in a position, and that's why he's so good at what he does. And same thing with their GM. Um, now that the, the cycle is changing now, which is, but it took a long time for that cycle to go around a few times. Um, but yeah, I, they they could never win there, and it's just you just you just knew. I mean, you were going in there for a battle and you probably weren't going to win, but you didn't, nobody ever thought that way. Nobody ever thought, well, we're going to lose this game because every game is different. That's why you play the games. You just never know. Some teams don't show up sometimes. You know, we had decent luck in Oklahoma City for some reason uh, against good teams. Um, So it's hard to tell why there are certain cities where you just, we've always had a tough time with Charlotte, even when they weren't good. In Charlotte. I don't know why it was. There was one point where I want to say we lost six straight games there. Maybe um, it's the barbecue. Yeah, Charlotte's barbecue <laughs> too. Uh, you know, that we rank the cities not by the teams, but by the hotels, the restaurants, the weather, all the stuff like that. You know, And invariably, Miami comes in first. <laughs> well, it's funny that you, you mentioned um, the barbecue in San Antonio, and you always – what stood out to me is you figured out the art of sarcasm. I mean, you and Phil were just fantastic at, at going back and forth. I remember the Geico caveman, that, that, that oh, conversation stands out. It, I mean, it's hilarious every time I watch. What did that kind of uh, announcing originate from? Because it kind of it separates you, um, and it definitely stands out to me, that sarcasm that really reaches you know, it's interesting. In the same way with being on TV, with with anchoring the sports, and Chicken Hernandez and I used to talk about this a lot um, because uh, he's obviously a very close friend. Um, you know, when you're on TV every night doing the news and you're going into people's living room every night, you don't have to try to force things on them. You don't have to try to be funny. If you have a natural sense of humor, then it will come out. It, it just will. You don't have to force it on anybody, whether you're anchoring the sports or whether you're calling the play-by-play. Um, and, and when you have two and a half hours pretty much to yourself on the air, which is what we had, you know, between me and Phil and Chris Miller or whoever was doing sidelines, um, that's a long time to be to, to have your personality come out. And people are going to see that. So, you know, look, if you're completely deadpan, and some guys are, uh, and you have no personality, then that's okay. You know, you can you can actually be a good play-by-play guy and not not have any personality as long as you're a good play-by-play guy. But locally, it's nice if you do have someone who's got a little personality <clears throat> and you can have fun with it. I used to love when we would go <clears throat> from Milwaukee to Atlanta. I would say, um, 
we just came from, yeah, you betcha, to how's your mom with them? You know, so, I mean, you know, to, to, to illustrate the geographically where the team would fly from one dialect to another um, and stuff like that. And um, and we, we would just have fun with it. And I would love to, uh, to try to bring Phil out because Phil was pretty, you know, pretty deadpan and pretty low key. But but he knew my sense of humor and I could tell when he was. Uh, and we, we had fun with each other that way, too. But it's an interesting question. And I just think that if you naturally have really any any personality at all, it's going to come out at some point. Agreed. And we're talking with D.C. area legend Steve Buckhans and honestly voice of a generation, one of our inspirations and idols growing up. I want to get Steve, I want to get you out of here on this because I want to be respectful of your time and and all the knowledge and, and great answers you've been giving us. So we like to wrap up our interviews with a little bit of a rapid fire. Some questions you may have never heard before, some others potentially, but something a little fun to kind of finish off this interview if you're game if for it. If it's your generation against mine, I probably have to pass on, on most of them. <laughs> We have not heard a lot of these questions. I I try to make them unique for you. So, all right. So, number one, what is your favorite catchphrase if you could pick one of them of yours? Well, it would have to be dagger. Um, I didn't get a chance to say it as often as I'd like. And I even had a retracted dagger where I thought the shot went in. And I remember that. (laughs) And uh, that gained a little bit of national attention. But as we said, and as I said in a newspaper article after that, you live by the dagger, and you die by the dagger. <laughs> love that. I love it. All right. Would you rather have Phil Chenier with a mustache or no mustache? No mustache. He's he's too pretty to not have to, to uh, have facial hair. And going way back when I first started, he had a beard. And hey, good looking guy. And listen, he's older than I am. He he'll tell you that he's not, but he is. And um, man, he's got beautiful skin. And so <laughs> he doesn't have any hair anymore. When he played, he had the big afro. He's got nothing. I used to tell him it's all on the inside now. And, um, and but but I, I like him clean shaven. He looks he looks the best to me clean shaven. Oh, wow. Steve, I was hoping for the mustache because that was the fill that I first remember seeing when I turned on yeah. games. Yeah. But I like so since you brought up his skin, I'll ask you: you kiss Phil or Phil kiss you? Well, um, I think um, when I left, well, actually when Phil left because he left. <clears throat> two years before me, I kissed him on the air first. Yeah. And then uh, when we, and then um, at some other point, some other point though, he kissed me. So it couldn't have been, it had to be before that. Um, I remember. I, I think you got in Cleveland or something. And we just, we just see him because he's that much taller and he just looks over and bends down. That's what it was. <laughs> So when they used to play the Kiss Cam at the uh, yeah, Kiss Cam was then the Verizon Center. Um, they would take all these different shots of people in the in the in the audience in the crowd, and then they took a shot of me and Phil. And I looked up and I saw us on together. And that's when I ripped off my headset and I grabbed <laughs> it. And so it was the next game in the stand-up open that he went over and he kissed me in the open. So that's where that came from. That was that great. Is in chemistry. That is, I don't know what is. That was great. Uh, pancakes, waffles, or French toast? Boy, you guys skipped. My, you know, for me, eggs are breakfast food, and I'm. I, I didn't grow up eating pancakes, waffles, or French toast. Although my family, my my wife loves them. Uh, neither, neither, none of the above. Eggs for me. Eggs, uh, bacon, and a. a Real well toasted bagel with cream cheese. That's a that's a uh, dagger to my heart because I was hoping you were going to say French toast. Very sorry to hear that it affected you so badly. <laughs> All right. So, would you rather be born in the future or be born in the past? Wow, that's a great question. That's a great question. You mean if I could be born again, basically? Yes. Hmm. Man, that, that's a real tough one. I, I guess the the um, the courageous answer would be to say to be born in the future, um, you know, like maybe 50 years from now or maybe even 100 years from now to see flying cars, which yeah. I know we'll have at some point, and just to see what everything's life, like, to, to see what life is like, to see if we're still here, to see what the buildings downtown look like because they've changed over just the last 20 or 30 years. 
uh, you know, the, the whole area, the landscape of the area has changed. When I grew up in Arlington, uh, there was nothing, you're ready for this, nothing outside the Beltway between the Beltway and Dulles Airport. If you can imagine that, there was nothing there. None of those, if you go down the toll road, none of those buildings were there. Reston wasn't there. None of that stuff was there. It was the Beltway and there was Dulles Airport. And when you went to Dulles, it was a long way away. Leesburg was a day trip. Leesburg was like an overnight trip. You didn't even go there. Now it's in the neighborhood. So, um, so, so back then, you know, that's how all this stuff, the landscape has changed. I wonder what it would be like 50 or 100 years from now. But I think it would be fascinating, too, to come back and see what it would be, what life would be like in mm-hmm. the 1920s or 30s, you know, maybe when my parents were, were born. Because um, that would have been very unusual to not have what we have today. Again, I go back to before cell phones and before the Internet. And I know exactly what that was like. And, and truf- uh, truthfully, I enjoyed being able to drive around in my car and not be bothered, you know, by a telephone. Mm-hmm. Uh, however, cell phones are something we can't live without now. So I'm kind of, which one are you picking? Are you picking the past or the future? I, I pick the future. All right. I think that's the first one we've, we've been on the same side on, Steve. So I'm hoping the rest of these, we, uh, we are on the same page here. Okay. How about Anthony Parker? Or Mo Pete, which one burns more? <laughs> uh, it would have to be a Mo Pete, I think, because of the no, not possible. And it's funny because he was doing broadcasting for Toronto, and I took a great picture with him uh, in the press room at the at the Wizards Arena. Um, and I had to remind him who I was and why I wanted to take the picture with him. And then he realized what it was <laughs> about. And uh, yeah, that. That play will, you know, live in my mind forever. It has lived in a lot of people's minds. Michael Ruffin, nicest guy in the world. Couldn't be nicer. When he had a baby, he gave cigars to everybody in the whole traveling uh, unit, all the team uh, teammates, the broadcasters, the uh, equipment people, passed out cigars to everybody. Couldn't have been a nicer guy. And for that, unfortunately, for him to be involved in that play was too bad. So Mo Pete burns the most for me if only he threw the ball a little bit higher a little bit further a little bit high just a little bit higher but again that was to me gilbert is at the free throw line okay and there's what six seconds left in the in the in the in the game three three and a half three and a half it couldn't have been had to be at least four well you mentioned you said i, I can't believe uh that th- you know there was three seconds. It seemed a lot longer than three seconds. Yeah, yeah. So, I, so it was three or four seconds. And for for him to, I guess he maybe shot the ball came inbounds. Ruffin has it. Ball goes up in the air, way high. Hope <laughs> catches it. I mean, all of this happened in the span of three or four seconds. That's why when he hit it, I'm thinking, it's not possible. It's just not possible. And Karan Butler almost fouled him. He was right yeah. on him. He, he played he great defense foul. without not fouling him. Could have called a foul very easily, yeah. Steve, you knew that at some point that was going to come up in this interview. <laughs> Listen, it's, it, it was – I mean, I've had people, you know, one of my uh, good friends is a friend, fellow named Zach Zarba. He's a referee in the NBA. He's, he's a very well-thought-of referee. The, the couple of days after that happened, he was doing one of our games, and we – I always go up to these guys at half court to talk to them because they've become friends as well. And he came up to me and he went, man, I heard the no, not possible. And I just, I, I laughed for a half an hour. <laughs> so, you know, it was uh, stuff like that. It gets around, man. Buck, Buck, I was watching that live and um, I know that was an organic call, but you, you spoke what all of us felt. That, it's literally not possible. I don't even know how you can throw overhand and it not even go more than a foot. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, but I, ha- I have one for you. Two giant humans with giant personalities. George Mirasan or Manute Bowl? Uh, <clears throat> it would be tough to pick one or the other. Um, obviously, George has lived longer than Manute. Yeah. Uh, and he is a terrific guy. I got to spend a lot of time with him when we went, went to London two years ago for that game against the Knicks. Uh, spent a lot of time with him there, and he's he's just such an um, an engaging guy and just a warm human being. I really love him. I, I like him a lot. 
Minute, obviously, I covered uh, when I was at Channel 5, and he was playing for the Bullets. And he was just a he, – he had such a um, – it was a fun-loving personality. It was a goofy personality. I'll never forget the time that uh, they played a great trick on him. You can Google it. You'll probably see it. But he was standing over top of uh, like a, a, like a, a little a buffet and had a silver like dinner platter over top of it. And I guess they told him that this was going to be food or something or whatever. And somebody had a camera rolling and he picked the thing up and Rick Mahorn's head was underneath of it oh. it was under the table. And he picked it up and he went, oh, that was Rick Mahorn, you know, and hysterical. And I'll never forget that. And uh, so Manute was fun for that. But I guess if I, if I picked one of the two and they were both big, fun guys it would be george he's still going at it and he's uh he's an ambassador for the team steve we'll get these last three in here and then uh, we'll wrap this up the 0506 wizards roster against the 1516 wizards roster that's the big three versus wall beal and paul pierce is the other big three who wins that game um you know that's that's a tough one um you know, my heart would go with the original big three because I, I knew them better. Uh, you know, you get to know some of these guys better um, just because their personalities lend themselves to that. You know, Antoine Jameson and Ron Butler and Brendan Haywood would all come to the back of the plane and talk to me and Phil and whatever. And and look at them. All three of them have done broadcast. Absolutely. Ron, and they're damn good. Yeah. Brendan, very good at it. And Antoine did games with us for a while and works with the team. Um, so they had a genuine interest in what we did, and they were smart enough to know that despite the fact these guys are old enough to be our dads, um, they can glean some expertise and we can absorb it. And they were smart enough to know that. Not saying that these other guys weren't like that, but we didn't develop the same relationship with, with Veal and Wall that we did with these other fellows. Who would win in, in those games, especially if they had Paul Pierce? Man, that's a tough one. That's a tough one. Um, you know, again, I'm going to go with my heart and say that the, uh, the the original big three would do it. But um, sadly, we won't get to see Wall and Beal play together this year, which I was really looking forward to because um, if John's healthy and, and came back healthy and Bradley clearly is playing the best basketball he's ever played, he's a genuine all-star, it would have been neat to see that. Having said that, and I don't know if you'll ask me this, question the Wizards got the better of this deal uh, Russell Westbrook's a better player mm-hmm. so um, you know John's a great player and he's passionate and he's fast Westbrook's a better shooter uh, he gives you everything he's got 110 percent every play every game every night and this is critical he's got uh, he's more adept at the floating running jump shot in the lane which every guard has to be mm-hmm. be uh, uh, you know productive John is still learning that shot, and he's not as consistent of a shooter. So uh, Wizards got the better of that deal. We'll see how he how he meshes with Beal and the rest of this team. So it sounds like 05-06 Wizards win on a buzzer yeah. beater by Gill, so. and you call dagger. Absolutely. Love that. Uh, last two. Would you rather wear a shirt that's two sizes too big or one size too small? Well, for me, it would be two sizes too big because I'm not comfortable in a tight shirt, and clearly <laughs> not one with a um, tight neck. I hate, I hate that. And um, listen, when you look like I do, you look much heavier on TV than you do in person. You know, I, I got nuts in here for the, no, women. don't do that. These cheeks are nuts. They're big. And uh, that's, that's what happens. But um, you do, you know, people with big features and, you know, I, I, if I had a nickel for every time somebody has come up to me in person and said, man, you look so much younger in person or you look so much bigger on TV. I'd be a rich man. So um, I, I hated stuff that was too tight, that was encumbering and made me feel like I was choking. So the answer would be a shirt two sizes too big, which would look preposterous, but I would feel better. <laughs> All right. Well, Steve, this is the last one. This might be the most important one. Ah. You get to call Wizards games again with Phil, but you have a third member of your team, and that's me. Do you still take the gig? Absolutely. Are you kidding? You just need to the entire time. You could be one step away from ESPN, Fox Sports. You could be right there, dude. 
So, uh, yes, I would take you in a heartbeat. And listen, uh, I've made no bones about this, truth be told. I'd love to still be calling those games. I did that for 22 years. It was a big part of my career, a big part of my life. Uh, Phil and I are like this. Um, I think that we gave um, fans uh, some good years of calling games. Uh, it's important. I believe it's very important to have people that uh, know the history of the team. In my case, I grew up here, so I can speak to the history of the team. In Phil's case, he played for the team. He knows all the guys. He knows the game. Uh, he's, he's a great broadcaster. He's easy to listen to. I thought we made a good pair, and uh, I was disappointed in the decision. Look, it's not, it wasn't my decision to be made. It was somebody else's decision. But um, to this day, I don't, I don't think it was a wise one. Now, the guys mm-hmm. that are doing it are fine. And Drew, I did a lot of games with Drew Gooden. Great guy. I love him. And fun. A lot of fun to broadcast with. Um, but, um, you know, you hear that saying, if it ain't broke, you know, why try to fix it? Um, mm-hmm. um, and, and, again, they can, you know, but, you know, I, I felt like I was at the point where I, where I had done the job long enough to where I had almost sort of earned the right to go as long as I uh, wanted to, as long as my health was healthy and my voice was healthy. And and that's what you see around the league. You know, you, you can go to younger guys or whatever, but if you look around the league at some of the guys doing the play-by-play, Mike Gorman in Boston, who's done the games for 40 years, Eric Reed in Miami, who's been there since the team's inception in 1988, Mark Zumoff in Philadelphia, Mike Breen in New York, uh, on and on and on, guys that have been there forever and ever. They're not replaced because they're too old. They're too good to be replaced. I'll leave it at that. And I love that you're The Wizards fans feel the same way. There was a petition started to bring you back. I don't know if you're aware of that. I was not aware of that. We'll make, we'll make sure when we put this episode out there that we bring the petition back to life so that anyone that didn't sign it before, I did, um, that we make sure more people sign it. That's nice of you. I appreciate that. That's That makes me feel good. Thank you. I did. I did. I wanted to say I love that you're so honest about, you know, your response there. Um, and it just shows how genuine of a person that you are. Um, it's easy cop out to just kind of, you know, bounce around that, that topic because it's, you know, a big deal. But my my phone blew up like no other when the news came out and 980 talked about it all day. But it was a big deal from all of my friends, all of my Wizards friend, fans growing up that, you know, we were all, you know, distasteful and like shocked. We were honestly shocked that um, they would they would make a move like that. So I, I feel like I can speak for the Wizards fans base and we all genuinely miss you dearly. Well, I appreciate that, James, Eric and David. Thank you very much. Um, it's nice of you to say. Um, uh, fans have been uh, really nice to me, and you know, that's one of the reasons why Phil and I wanted to do the podcast was just to sort of stay in touch with fans and uh, give them a chance to talk to us and respond and email in questions and things like that. So it's been good, and and uh, you know I still enjoy doing games. I've been doing a lot of, like I say, games for Fox. I've been doing some James Madison games, and uh, keeps me busy to that extent. But uh, it's still fun. So. I appreciate you guys and and appreciate you having me on with you. Yeah, I was going to say this has been such a great interview, such a great time talking to you, Steve. Honestly, again, and I'm not exaggerating. Um, This is not hyperbole. I'm I'm expanding my vocabulary because you're on now. (laughs) But uh, this has been a treat for us, and you are a legend. So before we get out of here, is there anything you would like to plug to our audience, talk about your podcast, uh, where they can find you on Twitter, all that good stuff? Well, again, um, it's not hard to find, and, I, and I'm not um, technologically savvy enough to say to go to Apple or Spotify or whatever. I just know that if you Google the name of our podcast, which is On the Road with Buck and Phil, if you Google On the Road with Buck and Phil, it'll pop up, and then you can listen to one of any of the episodes. And like I say, they were all uh, – I thought they were all pretty uh, informative and impactful, beginning with David Falk, who uh, obviously was Michael Jordan's attorney and his agent – for many, many years, that came out right when the last dance was happening. So it was very appropriate. And David gives you information that you never knew about, stuff about the Wizards and the Bullets and Mr. Poland and their relationships that you never knew about. Uh, Michael Jordan and the way he got out to Nike, stuff you never heard about. 
So that was that was great. And then, like I said, all through that with uh, with the different people we had on there. Um, I can't go through all 27, but, you know, from Gilbert Arenas to uh, David Falk to Mark Cuban to Christine Brennan and Gus Johnson and Ernie Johnson and Scott Van Pelt. Don't forget the Pearl, your favorite. Pearl, Sam Jones. Gary um, Williams. Gary Williams, Mark Turgeon, Rex Chapman, um, um, you know. Uh, Bradley Beal. Who did you mention? Uh, Bradley Beal. Bradley Beal. Um, uh, you know, Scott Van Pelt was my intern at Channel 5. And Gus Johnson was my intern at Channel 5. So, uh, you know, I like to think I had something to do with some of these guys. And if you listen to those two podcasts, we talk extensively about that with Scott Van Pelt, who I nicknamed the Thin Man, and Gus Johnson, who I used to call the Honeycomb because of the namesake back when the Bullets had the original Gus Johnson. We're all very, very close friends, and um, and they worked at Channel 5 with me. And um, so listen to those two podcasts. They're really great. But um, all of them were good. The Cuban podcast was phenomenal. He was fabulous. So all of these folks that we had on the air with us, um, were really great and a lot of fun to talk to, and hopefully there'll be more of that to come. Yeah, agreed. Great podcast. If you take anything from this, you need to go listen to his podcast, not ours. He does everything on a bigger scale, way bigger than us. But Steve, again, really appreciate your time. Everybody listening, make sure you stay tuned later this week. We have two-time six-man-of-the-year Ricky Pierce coming on and joining us, so stay tuned for that. Until then, we hope you stay safe. Have a great Christmas, and we will talk to you all